Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you trying to emulate Jesus and be like Jesus in every aspect of your life? Or are you just a part of the crowd that follows Jesus on Sunday? The greatest privilege we have in this life is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 6 and look at the amazing privileges that come with being a genuine disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Friday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all are just loving on Jesus, um, spending time with Jesus. You know, the, the Bible is clear, and we've said this over and over, that we, we have a triune God. Three separate individual beings, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are all equal in the fact that they are God. They all have all the attributes of God. They're all all-knowing. They're all all-powerful. They're all everywhere. And... As Christians, God the Holy Spirit lives in us. He's one with us. He's one with our spirit. We're one with him in spirit. And above all things, God the Holy Spirit is driving us to greater intimacy, greater oneness, and greater obedience to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so... All the time we talk about, you know, hopefully you're spending time with Jesus and loving Jesus and giving yourself to to just, just greater intimacy with Jesus Christ, spending more time in the living word of God, spending time in prayer and thanksgiving. And you do all this. This has nothing to do with our salvation. This has nothing to do with having your sins forgiven. It has nothing to do with going to heaven. All of that comes only by trusting and relying and clinging to Jesus Christ as our only Lord and Savior. Jesus and Jesus alone is how we have our sins forgiven, is how we come into relationship with God the Father as our Heavenly Father with Jesus as our Lord and Savior and Master and King, with the Holy Spirit as our guide, our comforter, and our counselor. That only comes by trusting and relying on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. But after we become Christians, after we have our sins forgiven and the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and gives us spiritual life, the meaning of our life is growing to walk in greater intimacy with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that drives us to do that. It's the Holy Spirit that drives us to want to know our Father better. It's the Holy Spirit that drives us to want to please Him. It's the Holy Spirit that drives us into the fear of God, uh, to, to have an awe and a respect for God, right, Rap? But, but also to fear Him, right? We don't fear that our Father would put us in hell if we're genuine believers, we're his children. But we do fear that he will discipline us, and that discipline can oftentimes be very unpleasant. So 
It's the Holy Spirit that's driving us just to more Jesus in, in every aspect of our lives. And so we thank you, Holy Spirit. There's, there's nothing greater than having greater intimacy with, uh, with Jesus Christ, our Lord. So thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this time today. We thank you for your favor, your mercy, and your goodness on our lives. We, we thank you for your love. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect life for us. We thank you for dying a perfect death for us and in our place. And we thank you that you're alive and risen. Father, we love you. We thank you for the living word of God, the scriptures. And above all, Father, we thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you now to lead us and guide us. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Okay, so happy birthday, Jose. I hope you had a, a wonderful birthday yesterday. Um, one of the leaders of our ministry, his name is Jose, and he had his 32nd birthday yesterday. He finished, completed 32 years of life, and uh, he's beginning his 33rd year of life. And uh, Jose, we just bless you and we thank the Lord for you. You're just a, a blessed part of our ministry. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for Jose. All right, so today we're moving into John 6. <sighs> Uh, by the mercy of our God, we have finished five chapters of John. I don't know how many teachings it is. As I often say, Stephen would know. I think it's maybe 40 to 45 teachings. And we've done every verse in uh, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And uh, we do uh, expository teaching. And so we're just going verse by verse by verse. And today we're in John 6. We're starting uh, John chapter 6. And we're going to try to get through uh, the teaching on Jesus feeds the 5,000 in verses 1 to 15. So I'm going to go ahead and read it and we will get rolling. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Sometime after this, John 6, verses 1 to 15. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over 
Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Pretty amazing account here. Uh, Scholars tell us that only the men are numbered here. You notice it says there's 5,000 men. Scholars say that with women and children, there could be approximately somewhere around 20,000 people here. Now, (laughs) that's quite a crowd, right? Uh, You know, most of like the basketball arenas, you know, the sports arenas, the indoor arenas around around America, they hold around 20,000 or 18,000 people. So this is a, a huge amount of people that are obviously here. Verse one, sometime after this and through chapter five, Jesus had healed the the paralyzed man who had been paralyzed 38 years. And then he has the long discussion with the with the religious leaders, with the Jewish leaders. And so John says, now sometime after this, we're not told exactly how much, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. Verse two, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Why are you following Jesus today, Corinne? Uncle Dennis, why are you following Jesus? It says that this crowd of people, and we already said it could be near 20,000 people, were following him not because they loved him, not because they knew their desperate need of him as their Lord and Savior, not because they knew he was the only hope they had for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of their soul and ultimately going to heaven when they die. And again, they weren't following him because they desired him and his person. They were following him, this great crowd, because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Now, we kind of get that, don't we? Like, again, you see a man just heal a man paralyzed for 38 years. You see Jesus say, get up, pick up your bedroll and walk. And immediately the man is healed after being paralyzed 38 years and he continues to perform these just instantaneous miracles on sick people and you get why people are following him right but it's it's almost like it's a a sideshow right it's a it's a beautiful thing that he's healing people who are sick and have have no other hope but The reason that we follow Jesus is not because of the miraculous signs that we see him do. The miraculous signs are wonderful, and the miraculous signs ought to be something that drives us to him as our Savior and our Lord and our Master and our God and our King. The miraculous signs ought to be something that drive us to to love him all the more, but they ought not be the primary reason for following Jesus. So I'll say again, 
Why are you following Jesus today, Scott? Are you following Jesus because you love him? Are you serving Jesus because you love him? Are you walking with Jesus because you love him because you know the just the you know the the incomprehensible love that he has shown you and shown me? Are you following Jesus because you're aware that when he gave his life for you and me, we were hopeless. We were helpless, Nathan. There was nothing we could do. Are you following Jesus because of what the Bible tells us, who he is and what he's done? And because we love him, because we know the love that he's given us, the incomprehensible love he's given us. That's the reason to follow Jesus. Everything else is superfluous. It's good it's important. We want it. I want all the miracles. I want everything that Jesus brings to us. But above all, we should want a growing and loving and intimate relationship with him. And everything should feed into that end, right? Now, now I confess, often I pray and I want things from Jesus. And certainly I want healing of different, I'm not feeling well oftentimes. But the desire for those things, and I'm just thinking this now, should be, ultimately should be, Lord, I do ask you to, to heal me or to bless me or whatever our prayers are for ourselves or others. But the primary desire shouldn't be that I, I get better from my sickness, but Jesus, that I might know you better from getting better from my sickness. Does that make sense, May? Meaning... We, uh, everything ought to funnel down to walking more intimately and deeply and obediently with my Lord and Savior, right, Ethan? So this crowd is following him, and it's, and John says exclusively for this reason, that they, they were seeing the miracles he was doing and performing for the sick. Verse 3, then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, Verse 4, the Jewish Passover feast was near. Why is it that when the crowd is following him, why is he trying to get away with his disciples? Look what it says. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. It doesn't say that he went and sat down with the crowd. He didn't sit down amongst this immense crowd that we're told is 5,000 men. Is what is what sat down. Um, I'm looking here for where it says it. It's in verse 10. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. And again, with women and children, close to 20,000. But why, why doesn't Jesus sit down with the crowd? Why does he go out of his way? to go up on a mountainside. He's clearly trying to get away from the crowd and sat down with his disciples. We've talked about this over and over. There's a difference between being a Christian, Peyton, and being a disciple, Chloe, right? A Christian is someone who has received Jesus Christ. John 1:12. To all those who received him, Jesus, who believed in his name, 
He gave the right to become children of God. Okay? You become a Christian by trusting and relying and clinging to Jesus Christ, knowing that you're a, a, a sinner, knowing that you're hopeless, helpless, and desperate, knowing there's nothing you can do, and you run to Jesus Christ, believing that he is the Son of God, and you receive him into your heart as your only Lord and Savior, okay? And with that conviction, Romans 10, 13, Romans 10, 13 says, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. With that deep conviction that you know that you're sinful, as the Bible tells us, that there's nothing you can do to save yourself, you'll run to Jesus Christ and you call out to him and say, Lord Jesus, I, I confess I am a sinful person. And Lord Jesus, I know there's nothing I can do to save myself. But I believe you are the Son of God. And I believe you came and lived a perfect life for me and you died a perfect death for me, Lord Jesus, and I believe you are alive and risen. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I do ask you now to come into my heart and I ask you to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and confidence and hope in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. It's not the words that save us. It's the, it's the heart behind the words, right? The words are just the vehicle. That's how you become a Christian. That's how our sins are forgiven. That's how you come into relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that's how you go to heaven. These things have nothing to do with us. Nothing we do can add to what Christ has done for us. We have to humble ourselves, acknowledge our complete in utter hopelessness and helplessness, and throw ourselves at the mercy of Jesus Christ, humbly asking him to be the Lord of our life. That's a Christian. But it says Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. A disciple is something different than a Christian. A disciple is someone who's trying to follow Jesus Christ and be like Jesus in every aspect of their lives. A disciple is a, a disciplined follower of Christ who is increasingly wanting to spend time with Jesus, growing to know him, growing to love him, growing to be like him, growing to obey him, and growing to repent when they fall short. A disciple of Jesus Christ is an apprentice of Jesus. They're, they're trying to model every aspect of their life after Jesus Christ. Now, you cannot be a disciple till you first become a Christian. So the question is today is, number one, are you a Christian? Have you truly receive Jesus Christ into your heart for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. Again, knowing your desperate need of him, knowing you're helpless and hopeless without him, knowing that only hell awaits without Jesus. Are you a Christian today? John 1, 12, to all who received him, to all who received him, there is no other way but Jesus Christ to be saved from our sin and to go to heaven when we die. Are you a Christian? Now, if you are a Christian, are you, are you just a Christian or have you become a disciple of Jesus? Are you trying to model your life after Jesus? Would Jesus have asked you to come up on the mountainside with him or were you just been one that was in the crowd? Sometimes as Christians, we can just, we can just be part of the crowd. 
wherever we are, right? We can be part of the crowd at church, right? We can go to church and there's thousands of people there and we're part of the crowd. Now that's a good thing. Going to church is a good thing. But are you a disciple of Jesus? Or are you just part of the crowd that goes to church on Sunday and doesn't do anything else? Do you go to church on Sunday? Do you go to mass on Sunday? And is that pretty much all you do? Or are you trying to diligently follow Jesus and truly be his disciple? Or do you just look to him when, when you need something? Do we just look to him for a miracle? Jesus said in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of, of all nations, right? Matthew 28, 18 to 20, he said, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me. After his resurrection, Jesus said, I'm the boss of everything in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say go make Christians. He didn't say go make churches. Obviously, we need Christians. And, you know, um, church is a good thing, right? We need to have good Bible-based churches. That's a good thing. But he didn't tell us to make either of those. He told us to make disciples. You know, if we'll make disciples... Church will come as a matter of course, right? I forget the author that said it. Um, very, very, very good line. He said, you know, when you make disciples, you always get church thrown in. But when you make churches, you rarely get disciples. Let's make disciples and then, you know, church is a good thing. We ought to get together. That'll be a bonus when we get together and we worship together and we hear the word of God taught. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Again, there were three major feasts throughout the year uh, in the Jewish calendar in Jesus's day. Uh, the Passover feast, uh, the, the feast of Pentecost, and the feast of Purim were the three major feasts. All right, so he's sitting down with his disciples. He's getting alone with his disciples. I'll say again, do you want to be a disciple where Jesus takes you off by himself because you really want to be his apprentice or do you just want to be one of the crowd? Verse five, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Verse six, he asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amusing, right? When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd. Yeah, I guess that would be a great crowd, right? 20,000 rolling up to you. And he just turns to Philip, by the way, one of his disciples. And he looks at Philip and says, Hey, Phil, man, where are we going to get food for these people to eat? Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, verse 6 said he asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Why does Jesus do this to us? Philip's not going to pass the test, and, and certainly I would not have. Maybe you would have. Maybe you would have passed that test, Leah, Right? Maybe Esther, you would have passed it. Becky, you probably would have passed it, but 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 I didn't. I I don't. I wouldn't have passed it. Twenty thousand people, men, women, and children, kind of chaotic, kind of a crowd going right. I mean, there's like this just mass of people there, and Jesus turns to you and says, "Philip, 
Where should we buy bread for these people to eat? I'd have been like, um, Lord, I don't know if you know how this works, okay? But there's, I don't know, there's got to be what? 5,000 men there. Then all the women and children, there's like 20,000. You know, we, we ain't buying no bread for these people to eat, Lord. I matter of fact, I don't even know what you're saying right now. Where are we going to buy bread? There's not enough bread in that town to buy people for the, to feed these people. This ain't happening, Lord. And basically, Philip says in verse seven, Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So Philip got a little mathematical mind in him. You know, he's pretty sharp. He lets Jesus know that, you know, that this, this is not happening, Jesus, because eight months wages, not eight days, eight months wages would not feed each person here even one bite. <laughs> so Philip's basically telling Jesus, you know, I don't even know what you're talking about. Now, like I said, it says in verse six, he asked this only to test him. And again, Philip does not pass the test here. Okay. What, what Philip should have said and what I should have said, because I believe I would have failed this test as well. Verse six, he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. First of off, first off, can we see here? Why, why does Jesus test Philip? Why is he? testing him. I, I, I don't like being tested. Do y'all like being tested? I don't like it. I confess it, Lord. I'm sorry. I, uh, apparently it's good for us to be tested by Jesus. And here Philip is tested by Jesus. And undoubtedly, if he's testing Philip, he's testing us. He asked us only to test him. I often wonder how often Jesus is testing me. And how many times I too, I, I just, I don't pass the test because I'm always thinking in worldly terms, right? When, when, when Jesus asks Philip about the impossible, Philip ought to put it back in Jesus' lap. He should have said something to the effect, Lord Jesus, I personally, I don't know. I have no idea about buying bread, but I'm with you and you're my Lord and you're my King. So I, you know. I can't do it, Lord, but I know you can do it. And that's why you're my Lord, because Lord Jesus, there's a lot I can't do. Matter of fact, most things I cannot do. But Jesus, I know you can do it. And I believe you can do it. And I trust you can do it. So, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not concerned with it because I know that you have in mind what you're going to do. And, you know, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm your disciple. You see, that would have been the right response. Clearly not what I would have said, and regrettably often not what I do say in my life when the Lord brings me into these situations. But we want to do better, don't we? <laughs> Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So Philip doesn't pass the test. Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother spoke up. 
So now the good news is these guys are disciples. They're not a part of the crowd. And another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Verse 9, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? So Andrew says, you know, we got a little food here. This boy brought a little food. But uh, that's not going to help us either. Right? So Andrew, too, again, looking at the natural, right? And we all get it. Right. All of us can look at the situation and say, yes. But do you see how how Philip and Andrew and you and I, we, we forever are looking at the problem in the natural. And both of them should have been looking at the solution in their master, in their king, in their Lord, in their God. The solution is in Jesus. When he said, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? The solution was always going to be in him. You can't just go to the neighboring village and buy food for 20,000 people. Where would you do that today? Where would you go today, Corinth, when you needed to buy bread for 20,000 people? You can't just roll up to McDonald's with 20,000, can you? You know, I go by, when I'm trying to go to McDonald's or to the King, Burger King, and there's six, seven cars in there I drive by. How do you feed 20,000 people? It's, it's got to have Jesus, right? So next time we're in a situation, right? You and I, gotta, we, we got to do better. I know I do. And Lord, I ask you to help us just to, to focus our minds and our thoughts on you, Jesus, and making you the, the solution, Lord Jesus, more and more. Jesus, you are our solution to everything. It begins with him being the solution for our sin problem, for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. But he's the solution to every aspect of our lives. <laughs> Jesus so cool. Jesus just so cool, Danny. Look at verse, look at verse 10. So both the disciples, one of them tells Jesus that eight months out of a year's wages couldn't feed each one a nibble. Wouldn't even, everybody couldn't get a little nibble. And then Andrew says, well, this boy brought some lunch. He got, he got, uh, you know, he got five small barley loaves and two small fish. So he basically got his lunch and maybe somebody, but we still got another 19,998 people to feed. Look at verse 10, first sentence only. Jesus said, Have the people sit down. I just love that line. Jesus said, this is in response to Philip and Andrew and their panic like we do. Jesus said, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Why does Jesus tell them to have the people sit down? Why y'all think that? Why does Jesus tell the disciples to have the people sit down? Why do you think that is? If you look out, right, it's got to be a pretty chaotic scene, right? Kids running everywhere, right? Just like people hungry, agitated, just stuff going on. Jesus looking out at that scene and he says, have the people sit down. Now you notice he said, have the 
people sit down. And but it says. Five thousand men, because, again, in that time, in that culture, it only counted the men. So clearly there's more people there than just men. It's clear that Jesus isn't going to bless chaos, right? Because when you look at verse 11, right, Benny? Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated, Stephen, as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. If you didn't sit down, if you were not orderly, you did not get the blessing from Jesus, okay? Only those who were seated got the blessing. Now, what was it like, right? Now, you notice you notice he employs he employs his disciples. He enlists his disciples to do this work. Jesus said, have the people sit down. So what is it like for 12 guys to look out out of a sea of 20,000 trying to bring order to this chaos? Try, try to put yourself in that position. Okay, Leah? Try to look out, right? You're looking at 20,000 people. Jesus wants everybody seated. In the other Gospels, it tells us that uh, to put them in groups of 50s, some groups of 100. What is that like? All right, where they at here? All right, let's get them together. All right, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 20, 21, 22, 23, 50. Y'all go over there, sit down. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, How long does this take to separate 20,000 chaotic people, right? Because you know kids run everywhere. You got to know some people start arguing with you. Why I got to sit down? What we got to do? I don't know, man, why you got to sit. Jesus told us to have all y'all sit down. So can everybody sit down? We don't want to sit down. Just what's he going to do? Because it's interesting, as always, Jesus doesn't tell him what he's going to do, right? Um, they just told Jesus, eight months wages can't feed everyone and nibble. Okay, Andrew said we got five little loaves here and two small fish, but that ain't going to do nothing. We can't do nothing with that. And Jesus doesn't explain to him, this is what I want you to do now. I want you to have all the people sit down because what I'm going to do is that I'm going to multiply these five loaves and two fish and I'm going to feed all 20,000 people. Matter of fact, we're going to pick up 12 baskets. Doesn't tell them any of that. So they have to go and obey Jesus because you're, they're disciples. And as disciples of Jesus, we have to obey what Jesus tells us to do, whether it makes sense to us or not. And golly, Lord, I ask you to help us with that, right? Because y'all know there'd be some of us out there saying, Jesus, what are you talking about? Have them sit down. Have them sit down for what? We'd want an explanation, right? And again, just imagine you're out there. You're trying to get the people seated. You're trying to get them orderly. Because Jesus told you to do that, right? And you know, pe some people don't want to sit down. Why? Why do we got to sit? What's going on? I don't know, man. Jesus just told you to sit down. So they're down. Kids running around over there. Everybody complaining, right? This guy's saying to his wife, I got to go home. That wife is saying to your husband, what are we even doing here? I'm just can you all oh, please just sit down. All right. So we got them all seated. Now we roll back to Jesus and say, they're all seated, Lord. What are we going to do now? <laughs> yeah. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated 
as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Wow. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks. It's amazing. Okay, because I would have been like Andrew and Philip and saying, you know, my pr I would have been praying like, Lord Jesus, I know we ain't got enough. We got to feed these people. I ain't got none but these five loads. Lord, I need, I, I need like seven dump trucks worth of food. We consistently pray and ask for stuff all the time, right? Father, I need this. I need this. I need this. Jesus don't even ask for nothing. Jesus just so cool. Jesus did not ask for one thing here. Look at this. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Jesus takes the loaves, says, thank you. Once again, employs the disciples. The disciples give all the bread away. How about the fact that, that they didn't have enough, according to Andrew and, and Philip, but yet when Jesus put his hands on the, uh oh, when Jesus put his hands on those loaves, they distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Twenty thousand people had all they could eat of the fish and the bread. You could eat till your heart's content when you brought Jesus in it. Can't go to the town and do that. But when Jesus gets involved, the blessing is immense. But you notice the blessing only came to those who were seated. You see verse 11? He, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they want. If you didn't want to sit down, you weren't going to get blessed. Sometimes we just got to sit at the feet of Jesus. To those who were seated before Jesus, the blessing came. If you weren't seated before Jesus, there was no blessing. He did the same with the fish. Wow. Verse 12, when they had all, when they had all had enough to eat, when everyone had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. It's a very interesting thing. Why does Jesus tell them to gather up the leftover pieces? Apparently they just weren't breadcrumbs for birds. Apparently they were actually meal sized pieces. He said he don't want nothing to be wasted. Why doesn't Jesus want anything wasted? Verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to, the, to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted, Lauren. Why? You know, generally when we eat, right? We eat, we fill our belly. We have our fill. We're done. We ain't worried about nothing else. I'm full. I'm good. But you know what? There's still... They're still, what's he say? So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets. Now, by the way, these are baskets that in this time, this word basket is a word that refers to like a, a laundry basket. You carry something heavy. So this is a lot that's left over. As you would imagine, right? If there's enough food to feed 20,000 people, you got like 20, like, you know, them wicker laundry baskets. My wife has one that kind of goes up to your hip. Probably they filled 12 of those. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. As I said, oftentimes when we get what we want, we're done, right? We don't think about anything else. Regrettably, we don't care about anything else. But how about how would it be if after we had our meal, 
we were a little more thoughtful and thought about those who, who, who didn't have a meal, thought about those who were hungry. Forgive us, Lord, when we, when we just, in whatever aspect of our life, when we eat, when we have our fill, when we get our blessing, when we get what I want, what we want, we don't care about anything else. Jesus, help us to be more thoughtful. What are the pieces that are left over in your life? What are the pieces that are left over that you need to gather so that down the road you could be a blessing to someone else? You see why he's telling them to pick them up? I know you had your fill, right? When they had all had enough to eat. Generally, when we have enough to eat, as I said, we generally don't care about anything else because we've had our fill. But when you've had your fill and I have mine, let's gather what's left over. Let's start thinking about others that maybe they haven't had anything, right? Let's not waste anything. How much waste have we had in our lives? How much waste do we have in our day-to-day lives where we could gather it up and be a blessing to others with the waste? And I'm not just talking about food here. I'm talking about in every aspect of our lives, spiritually, Melanie, physically, emotionally, financially, relationally. Verse 13, so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. When Jesus puts his hand on something, okay, he not only feeds everybody, but, you know, you you pick up an immense amount of leftovers. Make sure we're seated before Jesus. Verse 14, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Moses, and uh, I think you'll see the scripture at the bottom. I think it's Deuteronomy 18.15. I hope I'm right. Um, Where Moses said that he declared that I will, that God will send a prophet. The Lord will send a prophet like me into the world. You must listen to all that he tells you. Now, Jesus is that prophet. So these people know the Bible the crowds know that, that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So they actually recognize that by this incredible miracle. And so I just want to look here real quick um, at my, my scripture to see if I was... Uh, Golly, thank you, Lord Jesus. It is Deuteronomy 18.15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. Now, that's Moses prophesying, Ethan, back in the Old Testament. And again, just another substantial proof that our Bible is the living word of God. As Moses prophesied this, there were like 350 prophecies of Christ that are all fulfilled in the New Testament. But Moses said this prophet would come, and the Israelites were all looking for this prophet. The problem was they wanted the prophet to come, and they wanted him to be a deliverer like Moses was. Moses was used by God to deliver the people out of Egypt. Um, And they wanted a prophet to come or the Messiah to come, the Savior to come and to deliver Israel out from underneath Roman occupation. They wanted a deliverer or a mighty general like King David or Alexander the Great or some just incredible charismatic leader to lead them 
And so they would not be under the oppression of Rome. Look at verse 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus knew that they were going to make him king. Why does Jesus resist this? You know, when, it, when a mob of 20,000 people is going to take you and make you king by force and overrun a city, what, why didn't Jesus allow this to happen? Jesus did not come. They, again, were wanting a savior and a deliverer, again, to deliver them out of their physical circumstances. They needed a savior and a deliverer to deliver them out of their spiritual circumstances. Uh, they wanted the deliverer to bring physical blessings and improvements where Jesus came to bring spiritual life and spiritual deliverance. You see that? It's in Christ, the Messiah, that we have spiritual life, that we have the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. They wanted this conquering charismatic king with the powers they saw that he had to heal. So they wanted to use Jesus to their own end. They did not love him and desire him for who he was and how they needed him as a savior. And so Jesus is not tempted by this. It says that Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Many of us, most of us, probably all of us would have been tempted. Again, when the crowd is cheering you on, who knows, maybe even the disciples could have started to look at each other and say, man, this is good. Let's, let's make Jesus king because, you know, obviously if Jesus is king, then we're going to have a pretty good place, right? Well, Jesus is king, okay? He's our risen savior. He is our king. He is, the, you know, he is the authority of heaven and earth, right? We already read it in Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus said. And uh, so we can trust him. We rely on him. We need to give our lives to him, receive him as our savior and Lord, and then grow as disciples to him, right? Because he will come back again. And when he comes back, it will be as a conquering king. He already came as a suffering servant. Father, we do love you. We bless you. We thank you and we praise you. We thank you for the Holy Scriptures. We thank you for the living word of God. Father, we just... We just thank you above all for Jesus, our only Savior and Master and God and King. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us now. We ask you to help us to sit down before Jesus. We ask you to help us to be disciples of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Forgive us where we follow the crowd. Help us, Lord Jesus, to follow you in all that we do. Help us to grow in faith. Lord Jesus, in every aspect of our lives, help us to increasingly trust you and to pass the tests you give us in faith that we might grow to know you more. Father, we love you and we bless you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.